Hey, good morning. It's March 7th, 2020, and welcome back to Recovering Through Highness. And since we titled this thing Recovering Through Highness, I wanted to spend a little bit of time today talking about the differences between chemical abuse and behavioral disorders. And there's a lot of confusion that some people have between obsessive compulsive disorders and what we're going to actually talk about today, which is impulse control disorders. And obsessive compulsive disorders have uh, patterns of unreasonable thoughts and fears, which are the obsessions, that lead you to do repetitive behaviors, which are the compulsions. Examples you hear are people that repeatedly wash their hands over and over and over and over again. Uh, individuals that knock three times on a door for some fear that something bad may happen. And to gain a diagnosis of obsessive compulsive disorder, it has to drastically interfere with your daily life. And so I didn't want to actually talk about obsessive compulsive disorders, but I did want to talk about impulse control disorders. But I did kind of want to differentiate the, the differences there. Impulse control disorders are examples such as gambling addictions, sex addictions, eating disorders, people that are addicted to exercise workaholics, and things of that nature. So those are a little bit more defined as impulse control disorders. And it is an inability to resist an impulse that is originally pleasurable, and we could talk about that with drugs, but ends up becoming harmful. And that's what is defined as an impulse control disorder, which is exactly the same thing that you see with drugs. People that participate in impulse control disorders typically do it for the exact same reasons that people use drugs. And so we're going to correlate those two and we're going to see if we can kind of show how they are very closely interrelated and gain the same results and even highness that people seek out with drugs. The DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, is the instrument that all clinicians use to diagnose people, whether you're counselor, psychiatrist, therapist. There are an enormous amount of similarities between diagnosing somebody with a substance use disorder and a impulse control disorder. And the way that it's done is the diagnoses today are done on a mild, moderate, or severe scale. So let's say that you had a cocaine problem. We would look at the different symptoms that are evident in your cocaine problem, and we would rate it on a scale of mild, moderate, or severe that was based on the number of symptoms that you experienced. So if we were to diagnose somebody as having an impulse control disorder, all of the symptoms that are on that same scale that you have for drug abuse are available on the impulse control disorder with the exception of one. And that one thing that is not on there in those two different disorders are tissue dependence. So with drug abuse, you may have a tissue dependence as a result of the drug, whereas an impulse control disorder, you would not. Obviously, there's no tissue dependence as a result of gambling. But if we were to look at gambling, there is tolerance. And so as people begin gambling and they do more and more of it, they naturally will increase their bets 
because they want more and more results. There's an obsession that can result from impulse control disorders. So when people are not gambling, they're constantly thinking about it. Another symptom that you find in substance abuse is people that are giving up family and friends for their use. Similar thing can happen for gamblers, that they spend more time at the casinos gambling and no longer hanging out with family or friends. Financial difficulties. Obviously with gamblers, they may end up giving up their cars, their house, and everything. Now I want to look at the physiological similarities between impulse control disorders and chemical abuse. And I want to use the example of exercise. So heroin, which is a semi-synthetic opiate, and this derives from morphine, which is one of the chemicals that's extracted from the opium poppy. And what these chemicals do is they mimic our own endogenous opioids, such as endorphins and enkephalins. Now, from a drug-induced state with things such as heroin, which we'll define as an exogenous opiate, this actually acts inhibitory by suppressing or reducing the firing of the message of pain, which is transmitted by another neurotransmitter that's called substance P. Now, both are endogenous opioids, such as the neurotransmitters I had mentioned of endorphins and keflins, and there's also another one that's called dynorphins, as well as our exogenous opiates, such as the chemicals that we abuse, they act both inhibitory and excitatory. So inhibitory, they reduce pain. Now this pain can be both physical as well as emotional pain, and it also acts excitatory with our dopamine, which is our neurotransmitter of pleasure that comes from the mid part of the brain. So with heroin, heroin is mimicking our own endorphins as an inhibitory aspect of reducing pain. And as that process is taking place, it is acting excitatory by inducing and stimulating the release of dopamine, which is giving you the pleasure. Dopamine is the neurotransmitter that's involved in all addictions of both chemical abuse as well as impulse control disorders. Now with exercise, when people are exercising, they're tearing muscles. As they're tearing muscles, they get a release of the endogenous opiates or opioids like endorphins and enkephalins. And as that process is happening, it acts excitatory and stimulates the release of dopamine, which is giving you pleasure. And that is what we call a runner's high. People that exercise extensively, they are getting high and they're getting high on the dopamine. They're getting high on the same neurotransmitter that the heroin addict is getting high on that's inducing the pleasure that encourages them to repeat the behavior because it feels good. Now, naturally, the intensity is going to be very different for the heroin addict versus the exercise addict. As the heroin addict is flooding their receptor sites with an enormous amount of heroin, which your body is actually seeing as endorphins. And as a result of that, tissue dependence can develop. We have autoreceptors in our neurons that define whether there are too many or there are not enough neurotransmitters. And if it is determined that there are too many, your body will stop producing them, which is where the withdrawal symptoms come into play when people stop heroin because their body no longer has endorphins or these endogenous opioids that are alleviating or would alleviate the symptoms of the heroin withdrawal. So anybody out there that is addicted to exercise, physiologically, you are a heroin addict. <laughs> Just not on the extreme level, because the highness you're getting are from your own chemicals and not from anything that you're putting in from the outside.
Now, it is believed that dopamine, which is in the mid part of our brain, it's a specific part of the brain that's called the nucleus accumbens, has to do with survival. Everything that you do that keeps you alive, dopamine is involved in this. When you eat, you get a release of dopamine. When you drink water, you get a release of dopamine. When you go to the bathroom, you get a release of dopamine. When you have sex for the purpose of procreation, you get a release of dopamine. Endorphins are also believed to play into survival. It's believed that, we'll just say hypothetically, back in the time of dinosaurs, if you were running and you were being chased by a Tyrannosaurus Rex and you were injured, you would get a release of your endogenous opioids, which would alleviate enough pain with also the release of the dopamine to give you a little bit of pleasure, and it would allow you the opportunity to get away and to ultimately survive. Now, I'm not going to get into this too much, but I wanted to mention a gene real quick. Scientists have been doing studies, and they have found a gene, and it's an allele gene that's called DRD2A1, which is a gene that they found in both alcoholics and people that are addicted to gambling. And so there may be some commonality there. And DRD2A1 allele gene does have its greatest effects on dopamine, which again is the neurotransmitter that is involved in the repetitive behaviors. It feels good. Let's keep doing it. Now, when we talked about exercise and we talked about heroin or our exogenous opioids that people abuse, we're talking about central nervous system depressants. And so they do depress the central nervous system and in the aspect of heroin and the other opioids that people abuse, it is depressing pain primarily. Now, a lot of compulsive behaviors that people get into are much closer related to stimulant type effects. And so they're stimulating the central nervous system. And so I want to talk about that a little bit with with a couple of other compulsive behaviors. And one of them is shopping and another one is hoarding. And there are similarities between these two. The main commonality between those two is that they both define themselves by what they have. It's not about who they are, but it's what they have. And both compulsive shoppers and hoarders, one of the major reasons why these people become this is to alleviate depression. And a compulsive shopper gets the highest level of excitement right before deciding to purchase an item. Another reason that a lot of people become compulsive shoppers is because of what they get from being a compulsive shopper. They go into a store. There's no judgment. The people that are working there want them to purchase it. So they're treated nicely. They're treated respectfully. And the greatest thing about compulsive shoppers in terms of describing the relief of bad feelings that they have is they describe their high as something that's very similar to cocaine. So cocaine is defined as a central nervous system stimulant, which is very similar to methamphetamine, which was my drug of choice. The biggest difference between cocaine and methamphetamine is the speed at which cocaine is metabolized. One of the commonalities between the two is the neurotransmitters that are affected. There's epinephrine, which has to do with physical energy. So epinephrine is a a neurotransmitter, while as a hormone, we call it adrenaline. There's norepinephrine, which has a lot to do with mental energy, and serotonin, which has most to do, which has a lot to do with our emotional stability. And then we also have dopamine, which again is the same neurotransmitter that we continue to repeat. So if we were to put some similarities between the two, just prior to making that purchase, 
the individual has a boost of energy, which is the epinephrine. They're highly focused, which is the norepinephrine. They're happy because they're about to buy it, which may play into the serotonin. And they have that boost of pleasure once they say, I'll take it, which comes from the dopamine. The reason that compulsive shopping is much more closely related to cocaine versus methamphetamine is because of the speed of metabolism. So with cocaine, your body metabolizes it very quickly and the high doesn't last very long, which is very similar to the compulsive shopper. By the time they walk out of the store, they're in need of going to find another store to purchase another item so they can go through the same process. Now, we can relate some of the impulse control disorders together if we went back to exercise. We have examples such as cutters or the burners who are seeking the release of endorphins for that release of dopamine to give you the pleasure. I always used to think about examples of getting tattoos. Now, I have many tattoos, but at the same time, I am not somebody that repeatedly gets tattoos, although we definitely can define the fine line between pain and pleasure. Now, I had mentioned in the beginning of this episode that compulsive behaviors and substance abuse have a lot of similarities in terms of why people do these things. So what are some of these things? Well, one of them being to avoid. Uh, A lot of people start drugs to avoid feeling, which is also one of the main reasons why a lot of people get started on compulsive behaviors. It helps them avoid feelings. It helps them avoid situations. It helps them avoid difficulties in life. One example we could use would be workaholics, people that are compulsive at working. One main reason why a lot of people fall into this is for that exact reason. They don't want to feel. They don't want to deal with the normal stressors of life, although they think that they are out doing something that's important and something good, although they end up losing families. They lose spouses. They lose friends. But they also get high by overworking. Another reason why a lot of people abuse substances and in some cases also get into compulsive behaviors is because of low self-esteem. They think very poorly of themselves. An example of that is the sex addict. Studies have shown that people that usually get addicted to sex have very low self-esteem. And one of the greatest examples of the relationship between poor image of self, low self-esteem, and an impulse control disorder are eating disorders. And you have anorexia, bulimia, and overeaters are the most common that we would define as having eating disorders. Anorexics have a very distorted perception of their body's shape and size. And I have worked with a lot of females over the years in the substance abuse industry that also had anorexia. And it was very common for them to be 115 pounds, 120 pounds, and view themselves as fat. So anorexics will usually withhold nutrition. So in their case, they typically will not eat for long periods of time, or they will refrain from eating anything that has anything that would cause them to gain weight. Bulimics will many times binge eat, and then that would be followed by some form of purging or over-exercising to maintain their weight. And the third one you have is overeating. And overeaters typically will binge eat a lot of times, and they will not purge. And so a lot of times the overeaters will be obese. And again, a lot of them do this for similar reasons. Uh, A lot of times the overeaters will many times just give up on life 
the bulimics and the anorexics are ultimately attempting to maintain their weight and stay at a low weight in different directions, but ultimately, usually because of low self-esteem, low confidence, not thinking they're beautiful, thinking they're overweight, which many times is a distorted image. But all of them, whether you're talking about the overeaters that ate food to comfort themselves, deal with their problems, they all did it originally and found it to be pleasurable and ended up becoming harmful. So all of these different behaviors that we've talked about and when we're comparing them to substance abuse, the reasons why people started doing them were the same. Now the consequences can be very different. When we're using substances, we are many times killing brain cells and this can have long-term effects. The alcoholic or the person that abuses alcohol can end up with liver damage, heart damage, brain damage, kidney damage, where the meth addict, a cocaine addict, destroys neurons, which in long term affects their ability to experience pleasure. Usually when they get off the substance, they're highly depressed. The heroin addict will also destroy brain cells. They'll have to go through the potential very painful withdrawal that they experience where the behavioral and the impulse control disorders can at times also have health problems because they're not taking care of themselves. They will lose family. They will lose friends. They will lose jobs. And so the consequences are also similar to the substance abuser as they, can, they will also lose all of those things as well. But the main reason I bring this up, and to me what is something that I talk about in my book, again, pain, failure, and misery are the stepping stones to success, a lot of times the substance abuser is lucky and is luckier than the people that have the impulse control disorders. And the reason being is the results many times are much more painful and they slap you in the face much harder than the workaholic. The workaholic is able to hold a job. The workaholic is making money. And so this individual doesn't see this as being a problem. And so there's really nothing to work on. The heroin addict may have an enormous amount of consequences that really does slap them in the face and really does get them to a place to where they are required to look at and work on things that the workaholic or even the gambler doesn't see as being a problem and something to work on. And that again is why I see the substance abuser as having a real opportunity to see the drastic changes that they need to make in their life. Now, there are a couple of impulse control disorders that we haven't spoken of, such as kleptomania, which is an impulsive and repetitive urge to steal. You also have pyromania, which is an impulsive and repetitive urge to deliberately start fires. There are a couple that I do want to speak briefly on, and one of them is intermittent explosive disorders. Now, intermittent explosive disorders is no longer its own diagnosis in the DSM-5. It was in the DSM-3 and the DSM-4. They have lumped it into the disruptive impulse control and conduct disorders, which is where all of these are kind of lumped together. And Intermittent explosive disorder would be classified as a recurrent aggressive episode that are out of proportion of any given stressor. And it has to be unjustified to get the diagnosis. So an example, you know, if your spouse is cheating on you and you fall into a rage and 
very angry, that would not be classified under that because potentially we could call that as justified. So a intermittent explosive disorder, and the reason I wanted to talk about it real quick is because we are trying to look at the commonalities between chemical abuse and the impulse control disorders and the behavioral issues. And they've done studies on this, and what they've found are some very common similarities between the intermittent explosive disorder, the kleptomania, the pyromania, and I'm going to talk about one more after this, which is internet addiction, which is a brand new diagnosis that's come forward. And when we're looking at chemical abuse, or again, the impulse control disorders, there has to be something that is being fulfilled by these different behaviors. And when we look at the physiological effects, studies have shown with the intermittent explosive disorder that potentially there's low serotonin, potentially there's low dopamine, and potentially there's a low level of norepinephrine. So norepinephrine and epinephrine, like we talked about, are both involved in the stimulants, and they believe that a low level of norepinephrine can potentially cause a lot of anger and rage within people through those that they've studied. The epinephrine and norepinephrine as hormones fall under the sympathetic nervous system, which has to do with that fight or flight response. And so both of these um, as hormones play into, you know, the increasing of our heart rate, increasing of our respiration. So when people get extremely angry or they get very aggressive, they get rageful and potentially violent, there is going to be some release of dopamine in the stimulating aspect, a release of serotonin to lift the mood, the stimulating release of norepinephrine, those hormones getting kicked in, the heart rate going up. And as we defined before about impulse control disorders, it has to have been pleasurable at some point in time. But as time goes on, it no longer becomes pleasurable, which is exactly what we're talking about when we're looking at drug use. Drug use is fun when you choose to do it, but when you have to do it, they're no longer fun. I used methamphetamine because it gave me pleasure. It gave me energy. It gave me focus. It made me feel good. As time went on, it got to a point to where I was no longer feeling good or pleasurable from it. I was just doing it to maintain. And so intermittent explosive disorders, kleptomania, pyromania, all of these will kick in adrenaline. They'll kick in an initial moment of pleasure, some kind of drive that's going to get them to want to repeat that behavior. So the last impulse control disorder that I want to talk about is internet addiction. And familiarizing yourself with the signs and symptoms of internet addiction can help you determine if you potentially have a problem. And so signs and symptoms of internet addiction are similar to those of many other types of behavioral addictions as well as chemical addictions. And those who suffer from internet addiction tend to prioritize internet use above all important life obligations and may skip social activities so they can devote more time to being online. So to diagnose someone with an internet addiction, they have to have at least five of the following traits to be diagnosed. The first one being preoccupation with the internet such as thinking about activities you'll do next time you're online. Can we correlate that to drug use? Absolutely. Preoccupation with drug use, an obsession. The second one is feeling the need to spend more time online to achieve the same amount of satisfaction. What do we talk about with drug use? Tolerance. You're needing to spend 
more time online, tolerance. Another one is repeated failed attempts to reduce your internet use. So for drug users, repeated failed attempts to control their drug use is a symptom and a sign of drug abuse. The next one is feelings of irritability, depression, and moodiness when internet use is limited. That sounds very similar to withdrawal symptoms from drug use. Using the internet for longer periods of time than intended. Using drugs for long periods of time than attended. Another one is putting a job or a relationship at risk so you can use the internet. Another one is lying about the amount of time that you spend online. Relying on the internet to regulate or improve your mood. Being defensive about the amount of time you spend online. You could potentially have carpal tunnel syndrome, neck and back pain, headaches, insomnia, and sleep disturbances. You've declined in personal hygiene, weight loss due to skipping meals so you can be online instead, weight gain due to sitting for long periods of time, a loss of pleasure or boredom with real life activities, a loss of sense of time when using the internet. All of a sudden you're getting online and the next thing you know it's 10 hours later. Missing appointments, missing work, missing school due to using the internet. Inability to complete other important tasks due to spending too much time online. And so these are a lot of the signs and symptoms of people with internet addiction. And for most of those, you can throw drug use in place of those. Again, the only difference between chemical abuse and impulse control use disorders are tissue dependency. There's no tissue dependence for internet addiction. Now, treatment-wise, when we look at a lot of the impulse control disorders, some of the most beneficial that they've found is cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, aside from cognitive behavioral therapy, I look at a lot of the same things that people need to work on for those as well as for substance abuse. And some of those being learning how to be socially productive, learning about self-esteem, learning to love yourself, learning to care about yourself, looking at what's really important in life, identifying your morals, identifying who you are as a person and being you and not being somebody else. One of the common things with internet addiction is that a lot of people utilize it to avoid having to have real friends. You can have online friends the Facebook, other social media. And so part of becoming a part of life is to interact with the world, be a part of the world, defining a purpose. And all of these are very similar to whether you're talking about chemical abuse or behavioral abuse. There's a lot of things we haven't talked about with this, but this was really kind of something that I just wanted to introduce um, because, again, most people out there have issues. Everybody out there seems to have something that they're a little more compulsive with than other things. And like I had mentioned before with the chemical abuse, these individuals get slapped in the face hard enough to where it's forced upon them to have to look at these things, whether it be legal issues or you know, serious health issues, um, unable to hold jobs and things of that nature. But I think this idea is important for people to think about. We have to figure out what is important to us. What are our real values? And if you define your values and what is really, really important to you, do the things that you are doing fall in line with what those values are. And I think that's what's really important for people to look at. Are my behaviors in line with what is really, really important to me? Obviously with eating disorders and things of that nature, there's really a lack of love, there's a lack of confidence and all that stuff, which is also why self-esteem is so important. But despite whatever efforts that you take to resolve the issues that you have, there is one thing that is absolutely required. And that one thing 
is acceptance. You will never work on anything until you've accepted that you actually have a problem, which is again why drug abusers have an easier task at this because it is usually smacked in their face. Something must happen for people that have impulse control disorders that will make them want to look at this. And again, the first step in this whole thing is taking responsibility and accepting the fact that you have a problem. And until you accept the fact that you have a problem, you'll never work on it. I want to thank you for listening.